Hello. Happy International Typing Day, everybody. It is me, Sean, your host for This Day in Wikipedia, and I'm feeling much better today than I was yesterday. I apologize if yesterday's episode was a little dour. I was just having kind of a hard day yesterday, so feeling much better today. I was really surprised when I was looking at people who were born today. There was legitimately like seven or eight people that I could have picked from, and I just wanted to highlight some of the other people that were born today. Uh, Stephen Hawking was born today. Elvis Presley was born today. Kim Jong-un was born today. And David Bowie was born today. Like Any of them legitimately could have been people that I was interested in covering. I feel like that I have covered similar people because uh, when I'm looking for subjects, I'm trying to pick people that I have a passing familiarity with um, so that I can feel a little more comfortable talking about them and I don't sound robotic like I'm just reading straight from a script. One person whose name was on the list kind of interested me and so I decided to go that route. So we are going way, way back, way, way back to January 8th, 1037. The Chinese poet, author, politician, Su Shi was born. Now, I know the obvious joke here is, well, did he invent sushi? And the answer is no. However, he was a very famous gastronome and is and was is considered one of the four great gastronomes or food experts in China. When he published his poems, he went under the name Su Dong Po. So Su Dong Po is how I will refer to him throughout this. However, his birth name is Su Shi. Su Dong Po, like I said, was a renowned poet, writer, politician, calligrapher, painter, pharmacologist, and gastronome. Dong Po was married at 17, and when he was 19, he passed the highest civil service exams that were available in China, which at the time was a prerequisite for high government jobs. The emperor at the time, Emperor Renzong, was impressed with Dong Po's scores given his young age. Starting in 1060, so basically when Deng Po was 23, and for the next two decades, Deng Po held a multitude of governmental jobs throughout China. It was during this time that he became very critical of a rival political organization that was led by a man named Wang Anxi. And Anxi's political group kind of controlled most of the salt mines and also had a lot of people that were involved in the courts. And what ended up happening was that the political group itself ended up going after Deng Po and charged him with crimes and ended up exiling him. Now, what I thought was interesting was that An Shi and Deng Po were actually had developed a cordial friendship, and An Shi had nothing to do with Deng Po being exiled, even though he was the guy that created the group that was exiling him. I thought that was really interesting. It was during his time in exile that Deng Po really started to publish some of his most famous and well-received poems. He was finally pardoned in the year 1100, um, and he was able to return home. While, home. while en route to his home, he died on the road at age 64 on approximately August 24th, 1101. 
Somehow, over 2,700 poems have survived, along with roughly 800 of his written letters. One of the things he was also really well known for was his day trip essays, and these were short stories that were common during the Song Dynasty era. And while on the surface they were descriptions of the environment around the writer, they often contained philosophical or moral arguments that the writer was attempting to make. His best-known day-trip essay is called Record of Stone Mountain Bell, and it investigates if the ancient text on Stone Mountain Bells was actually accurate. He was an inventor, and he was responsible for improvements made to the canal systems around China that allowed for larger ships to get through the locks more safely. It is also rumored that he created the Dongpo pork dish, but that has never been proven one way or the other. Dung Po himself was primarily a vegetarian that did eat meat occasionally. While imprisoned, awaiting trial, he decided that he now knew what it felt like to be a caged animal, and he no longer wanted to eat meat, and after that, became a vegetarian. Um, I thought he was really interesting. Um, There is so much in these early Chinese eras Uh, There's so much in Chinese history that it's very hard to kind of get a full scope of a person's life because during this time there was so much politics, there were so many clans, um, there was just a lot going on in China at the time, and Chinese history is fascinating. On this day, January 8th, 2002, Dave Thomas died, the founder of Wendy's. Dave Thomas was born in Atlantic City, New Jersey, on July 2nd, 1932. He was put up for adoption and then was adopted by Rex and Aluva Thomas. Uh, Aluva died when Dave was only five years old, and he and his father became itinerant looking for work. He had his first job at age 12, but he was fired, and after that he vowed never to be fired again. He dropped out of school when he was 15 to work at the Hobby House restaurant. Three years later, when he was 18, he volunteered to join the U.S. Army. And while in the Army, he requested to go to cooking school, basically. And he became a mess sergeant and was responsible for the meals of over 2,000 soldiers. After getting out of the Army in 1953, he returned to Fort Wayne, Indiana, went back to the hobby house restaurant where he became their head cook he ended up becoming friends Uh, and i thought this was interesting because there's a dollop episode about colonel sanders that's really interesting but uh dave thomas ended up meeting colonel harlan sanders and the two became friends and sanders would frequently rely on thomas for help with the kfc restaurants Some of Thomas's ideas that Sanders ended up implementing was to make the menu more streamlined and to create a signature dish and to appear in commercials. And due to Colonel Sanders' appearances in the commercial, KFC was able to gain much higher brand recognition than it had before. Thomas helped run four KFCs that became so profitable that Thomas basically sold his shares back to Colonel Sanders for over $1.5 million, which in today's money would be $11.2 million. About a year later, in 1969, he opened his first Wendy's, and Wendy's kind of took off from there. In 1982, he stepped down from day-to-day activities, but then in 1985, he came back as the 
company as a whole kind of started a downturn. In 1989, he took on a lead role in almost every Wendy's commercial that came out. By the early 90s, Wendy's brand recognition was some of the highest in the country. Dave Thomas was a lifelong adoption and education advocate. I was kind of surprised to find out that Thomas, you know, he dropped out of school when he was 15 and did not get his GED until 1993. So he was like 60 one roughly when he got his GED and I just found that fascinating um, but it really that kind of stuff really fueled Dave Thomas's lifelong um, advocacy for education he created the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and the Dave Thomas Education Center which helps young adults get their GED he died on January 8th 2002 from a liver tumor and at the time of his death, there was over 6,000 Wendy's in existence. When I saw Dave Thomas's name, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, like, eh, that should be interesting. I had no idea that he was such an advocate for education and adoption. Uh, I had no idea that he worked with Colonel Sanders. And while I do remember Wendy's commercials, I didn't realize that he had appeared in so many of them. And it really was his appearances in all these commercials that really led to Wendy's really being the number three fast food restaurant behind McDonald's and Burger King. Um, and then lastly, on this day, January 8th, 1811, the German coast uprisings began. I am continually surprised by how many times I will read about an event. I'll think to myself wow, how come we were never taught about that? The German Coast Uprising was the largest slave rebellion in United States history. The seeds of the rebellion were started by a slave named Charles DeLonde. He organized secret meetings between different slave groups from different plantations. Apparently, a lot of these meetings were kind of right under the noses of the masters themselves. And one of the things that the slaves had going for them was that the masters just pretty much thought, hey, like, these dumb idiots will never be able to organize themselves. Like, sure, if they want to talk to each other, that's fine. The slave groups came up with a goal of basically taking over the city of New Orleans and creating a free city for them. Um, and so on January 8th, they started the rebellion. They marched, uh, initially it was a small group, I believe I read it was like 15 to 25 or so started. Uh, they marched, and as they would march past different plantations, they would pick up more and more people in their group. They were armed primarily with pikes and hand tools. Uh, they had very few guns. During the two-day march to New Orleans, they burned down multiple plantations and crop fields. Um, I, there was five plantation houses that they burned down and two were completely burned to the ground. On January 10th, a militia group consisting of two companies of militia volunteers along with 30 regular troops and a detachment of 40 seamen was able to surround the uh, slaves while they were crossing a river and they ended up killing about 40 of them while sustaining no injuries or deaths themselves. The rebellion group at that point kind of scattered and the rebellion came to an end. It was hard to pursue the fleeing slaves through the thick forest, but they 
most of them ended up being captured. I guess one thing that was kind of darkly interesting was that most of the slaves that were involved in the actual uprising themselves, very few were actually put on trial because the plantation owners didn't want their property getting destroyed like because they viewed these slaves as their property so they were just like whoa whoa whoa! let me handle disciplining this person um the one that was unfortunately uh put to death was charles deland he was captured he wasn't given a trial he wasn't interrogated he was basically just like tortured for a day and a half publicly and it was a warning sign to others like don't think about doing this again despite being the biggest slave rebellion in u.s history there was very little um education about it until 1995 the african-american history alliance of louisiana started doing an annual commemoration of the german coast uprising the destrahan plantation which was the one of the main plantations that was involved in the uh, 1811 uprisings. The only mention of the uprising itself was a small plaque in one of the slave houses, and it wasn't even part of the tour. It was, you had to like go in there by yourself, like no tour guide would take you in there or anything. In 2014, the Whitney Plantation was opened, and it was the first plantation museum to talk about the uprising. So. I always just find stuff like this so crazy to hear about because I'm like 39 and I loved American history. I loved reading about American history. And the fact that stuff like this isn't taught in school is crazy. Um, so anyways, everybody have a wonderful January 8th and I will see you all on Saturday, January 9th. Bye.